Welcome to Fried, the ultimate guide to burnout podcast. If you've ever been burnt out because of your job, your relationship, or just your life, this is the place for you. We will talk all things burnout by sharing deep stories of personal transformation each week with a new guest who vows to share their stories without leaving out the scary bits. This is raw, honest, and brought to you by acupuncturist and burnout coach Kate Donovan, whose own experiences make her determined to change the current burnout culture. Hi, everybody. This week on the podcast, the discussion takes us through the story that we tell ourselves way after the fact. Dr. Roz's burnout in the form of a mental breakdown, followed by an episode later in life of suicide fantasies, were nearly all but forgotten for so many years after they happen. We return to them in this episode, and Dr. Roz gets a chance to see how far she's really come and to show you what's possible, no matter how dark your story is today. Hello, everybody. Today, I have for you a very special guest. Her name is Dr. Rosalind L. Ashford, and she was born in Mississippi and makes her home in the southern United States with her two children. She is a true optimist with a passion for empowering people to manifest their dreams. Her penetrating conversations have been shared by inspired people from around the globe. Through many ambitions, her multi-passionate career includes work as a clinical therapist, a radio personality, a celebrity interviewer, a red carpet host, a training specialist, and a writer. She is a licensed professional counselor at a Christian group private practice, a Gottman Seven Principles leader for making marriages work, and is the creator of Unbreakable, a destination weekend relationship retreat. I mean, you guys are going to be spoiled today. <laughs> with the energy and the words and the wisdom that we're going to get from Dr. Roslyn. So I will turn it over to her and ask her to share her story. Roslyn, first of all, thank you so much for being here and spending your time with us. It really means a lot to me. Caitlin, thank you so much, first of all, for having me. And um, I'm excited because I honestly didn't know that this was a thing in terms of um, burnout. We hear about it in, you know, the the counseling world, but I never thought that it would happen to me. So I'll share a a little bit about my story. I think I was around 16 or 17 when I knew that I wanted to become a therapist, you know, really realizing how different the dynamics of my friends' families were than mine. And I grew up in a two-parent household, I have fun memories of summer vacations, and we still do that same thing today, and it's to try to save families. And I was on this uh, mission to bring back the two-parent household. So I went to school, got my bachelor's and my master's degree in counseling, and I often dreamed about doing these amazing workshops with couples, and I could see myself doing it. I could see the person spread out on my little nice white couch and um, me, you know, giving the most amazing advice. And I had just been, you know, how you just have a dream stuck in your head for so many years. You like, just know that this is what it's going to be. Yes. 
that's not what happened when I graduated um, with my master's that next month. I got married and I started a job in the community mental health. I remember uh, graduating that May. I got married uh, the next month and I started my career at a community mental health center as a school-based clinician. So I had been daydreaming all along about uh, this nice, beautiful office space. And I was literally in what seemed to me to be a little broom closet (laughs) of an office. And I was uh, riding around often in my car, uh, going to the schools, visiting students, and trying to deliver them from their parents. And I say that because I realized that there were so many issues that the children had no control over. And it really broke my heart. It was like I was reliving that kid all over again where you got these parents who didn't really want to be parents, <laughs> but they are. And it was really costing the family. So I did that for about, gosh, a year and a half. And I decided I wanted out of the broom closet. And I decided I wanted out of counseling, period. I mean, I was burned. Um, because there were so many people that were coming in and I realized they had been, you know, coming to these services, you know, since they were five or six, now they were 18 and there were still no changes. And that was the beginning of, uh, of my burnout. So I left my career in counseling, the dream that I had since I was 16. Heartbreaking. It was. It was really heartbreaking. Um, and it was also heartbreaking for other reasons because, you know, I wanted to become a licensed professional counselor. I knew that. I knew I wanted to be in private practice. And, you know, when you graduate from a master's program, nobody tells you what exactly goes into hanging that shingle. And then you realize that you don't know anything about the business of private practice. Yes, yeah, this is same felt- for, for acupuncturists. Yeah. And I felt stuck. Yeah. I really, I really felt stuck. I, I, I felt like I had no options. Um, I felt like I would never be you know, financially successful and to be able to take care of my family. And I felt like I chose the wrong career, even though all my life, all I ever hear is, you know, people asking me for advice. And um, so I walked away from it. That's a pretty incredible beginning part of the story. And I, yeah. I want to jump in here for a second just to say that this is a recurrent pattern that mm. I'm hearing in the stories over this series of interviews that I'm doing now for the podcast is okay. that our expectations that we have and the pictures that we create of the life that we assume we're going to have as adults, yes. we get there and it doesn't quite match. And it is a harsh reality to deal with. Mm-hmm. And lucky for you being in a two-parent household and having been given the skills to be resilient enough to come back from that. <laughs> Right. But not everybody, like you said, these children that are stuck in the system, you know, for years and years and years, and you're not really able to get to them because their constant stress stressor is something that you have no control over. So building resilience while someone's already drowning, it's too little too much. And can I just be totally honest? It's like, there were days I just wanted to punch the parents in the face. Like if I could just fix you. I could fix them. 
but you know, all the while I'm in this setting and, and there's this expectation for, you know, get these billable hours and go see as many kids as you can. It was just a broken system that, you know, in my opinion, um, it sounds good on paper that this is how we're going to help change lives, but the system was never intended to do that. And I did not want to be a part of that uh, culture. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what you, what you wrote to me earlier, which is, it really sums this up perfectly. You know, I was going in and out of the school and families' homes trying to solve unsolvable problems for children who didn't need fixing. It was their parents who I wanted. Yes. And when yes. I read that, I got whole body chills. I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. I did. I mean, I have so much passion behind. I really, I want to help you guys, but I don't know if you guys really want real transparent help. And it was killing me to go home to my family and to know that I was never going to make a difference. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. All right. So then you, you were at this place where your dream career crashed before you yes what did you do oh well I was I was drowning at that point and I was trying to figure out what my exit strategy would be so every morning I would go into my room closet office and I would really meditate and um, I started researching programs at the university because I always believe that if I'm in a tough situation and if I'm hearing from other people in the same company that there's no growth, there's not even a glass ceiling, it's a brick wall, yeah. um, then I'm jumping ship. But before then, I needed a plan. So I just began to research some programs that might be of interest to me. I always wanted my PhD ever since I was 16. That was, that was my other goal. And, um, and, I, and I stumbled upon a new program at the university in my area, and I began to finally do something that I've never done before, and that was research from a place of how successful would I be in this field, what would my salary be, how high would I be able to go. Now, keep that in mind, I'm this person that's, you know, full of passion, has a love for life, and really is a, I guess, a rebel in terms of I always want to do more of what makes me happy. Yeah. So my second passion outside of being able to, you know, want to change families and being interested in how people think was how people learn. So the program that I, you know, eventually enrolled in is instructional design and technology. And so that, the basis of that is understanding how people learn and creating innovative training programs for, you know, a variety of uses. Well, that's fascinating. Yeah, it really was. It was, and I enjoyed the program. I enjoyed every moment of it. It, was, it, was, it had so much promise to it. Um, and I knew when I got out, I could do, you know, the American dream, six figures. I you know, had plans to um, relocate to another state. I had my eyes set on uh, Dallas, Texas, and I had a plan. <laughs> I'm waiting and, for the uh, book to happen. Right I'm now. laughing. I'm laughing. I'm <laughs> laughing. 
I was I had this amazing plan. I, I set out to do it. I was a great student. I was in the I finished the program early um, because I had quit my job and I was going full time and I was married. Um, and then, you know, the children started coming and all of that. And so then I took this amazing job in corporate America once I finished my classes. Because I said, well, there's nothing for me to do now but write. Well, that was a bad idea. So a great job, lots of amazing benefits, best salary I had ever had at the time. And I was a training manager for this, I guess, (laughs) I um, what what company was, well, I'll just say without giving their name away, I'll just say I was a training manager in, you know, in corporate America. We'll just say that. Okay. Okay. So I did that and I, I was, I had to fly to different, they did offer training to their 11,000 plus employees, training managers, but I was in a hotel room at least two to three nights a week and my baby was six weeks old. So it's like, this is not going to work because even though this is part of my dream, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm flying in private jets. This is amazing. This is totally against my family values. So I had to leave that job. And in the middle of um, walking away from that job, I got a phone call one night from uh, my um, family members. And every time you get that 2 a.m., 3 a.m. phone call, you know that it's not going to be good, right? So I got the phone call that my cousin, Dan, who lived in Chicago, had walked out earlier that day into oncoming Chicago traffic. And it was like, oh, my God, like somebody who I know actually killed himself. Why would he do that? So we went to the funeral services and it was this, you know, little old country church on this dirt road, classic Mississippi. Right. I was looking at Dan's body and I was like, Dan, like, you know, at first I was wondering, how did somebody do this to himself? And then I began to see that he had all of these tattoos. He looked dark, like there was a darkness about him. His hair was, you know, disheveled. He just didn't look like the Dan that I grew up with, you know, playing with at family reunions. And as I was crossing the street over to the cemetery, I kind of heard, you know, what people describe as the still small voice saying a fight suicide. I said, wow, you know, that's a great idea, but I'm, I'm no longer a therapist anymore. I was still working, you know, my corporate job and I was still in school, but I knew I was like, it was very clear. Okay. Fight suicide. Okay. How am I going to do that? I didn't know for like two or three years how I was going to fight suicide. I graduated from the program, set out to be this amazing training manager, and I could not find a job. And it was just really embarrassing <laughs> because, um, you know, I have a PhD now I, and I felt like I wasn't good enough. That time. Nobody would hire me. So I spent that time to work on a book and I began to write about my journey, um, my journey through depression, my own personal journey with having thought about uh, suicide years before. And I thought maybe that's a good way to talk about how to fight suicide. So I write, I write, write this book and it's called The Sink Before the Swim. And 
I still cannot find a job. Like nobody will hire me. I'm driving to um, Atlanta, I'm flying to Texas. I'm trying to, you know, get a job. I, I had gone through a divorce. And so I was trying to rise from the ashes, but nobody still would hire me. So um, it was then that I had this dream. And I'm a very, um, consider myself to be a you know, pretty spiritual person. I think you have to be um, for what I've experienced. But I had this dream about um, teaching GED courses, and I thought it was weird. And I said, well, maybe I should go into, you know, education. So I went and I, I um, just applied to be a substitute teacher while I was marketing my book. And I go into the school system, and this uh, I get a phone call the next week saying that one of the teachers is in need of having knee surgery. Can you please, you know, do a more permanent role? And I start out, you know, doing this. And this is about two years after I finished my PhD. And now this PhD, Dr. Rosalind Ashford, is now a substitute teacher at a middle school. And I was like, wow, (laughs) this is interesting. And it was crazy because I had to teach math and I hate math and I was so afraid of math. And if you asked me today to like add up some numbers in my head, my whole brain would typically shut down. So now I'm in this math class with these seven and eighth graders. And to make a long story short, every day it seemed somebody was coming to me with some type of problem. There was a little girl having a panic attack in the hallway. So I paused my class asked another teacher to watch my class while I ran to her to find out what was going on. Somebody had a seizure and the other students were so flustered by it. So I went to talk to them and I'm really good at pouring myself into, you know, I always go all in in everything that I do. So it wasn't surprising that they wanted to offer me you know, a full-time position. Teachers were encouraging me to, you know, become certified. And I was like, this is embarrassing. Like I started off as a counselor. I quit that profession. Then I get my PhD in instructional design and I couldn't find, you know, a good training position because they said I didn't have enough experience and, and whatever, you know, in that industry. And now you guys want me to become a teacher? Hey, no, because my parents were teachers and I hated teaching. And I was like, I'll never be a teacher. But my parents were encouraging me, you know, you can, you know, become a teacher and retire and your retirement would be so good. And I was like, you know, yeah, right. That's not, that's not my story. That's not me, whatever. And eventually one day I was talking to um one of the baseball coaches and he was just, asking like, you know, are you going to come back? Are you going to get licensed? Everybody's trying to offer me the sun in education. And I said, you know what, if I'm going to, if I was going to go through the trouble of going back to school to get certified, I believe what's been calling me at this school all along is my passion for counseling. And it just, it lit a fire. I I came full circle in that time as a substitute teacher. It was crazy. And that's where I am now. 
And I, and it's been an amazing journey because now that I look back on it, I'm like all the signs were pointing back there all along. Because when I when I finished my PhD and I couldn't get a job, I just wanted you know one of those little bridge jobs. And the first place I thought about was, oh, I could go work at Dillard's or something where I could be around a lot of people and and get to talk to people about different things. And I'm like, you dummy, you you you've been walking back to counseling ever since you got out. Yeah. So it was a, it's been an amazing journey. I'm, I'm excited to be back. The, the problem with that is that I had I waited too long to get back into the career because I knew that I was never coming back and my license lapsed. So I had to start all over in terms of getting my hours. But, but this time I knew that I knew what I wanted. A lot of things had changed in my area in terms of there were some group private practices that offered opportunities that did not exist back in 2007 or, or I didn't know they existed. And it just kind of opened up a different world for me coming back into this field. And in the meantime, from the beginning of your book, there was, it was a lot darker even than what you shared. It wasn't just as difficult as not getting a job, but can I share the first uh, half a paragraph from your book. Please. Yeah, because it's it's a really, I, as soon as I started it, I read this introduction and I thought, okay, well, I know what I'm doing for the next two days. Like, I'm definitely reading oh. the book. <laughs> awesome. And so the, the book that um, Dr. Roslyn mentioned earlier is called The Sink Before the Swim, and it is available on Amazon. I will put a link to it in the show notes for everybody. And I just want you to listen to this paragraph because when we go through something and we learn to swim, you know, the sink before the swim, we learn to swim and we figure it out. We sort of forget sometimes that we were sinking. You know, Dr. Roslyn tells this story now and she's got some distance to it because she's back in a place where she feels comfortable and successful and things are good. But I do want to read this to you so that you understand the depth of what she went through. Yeah. The book starts like this. Seems a distant memory, but I remember when I thought I would never be my happy, bouncy self again. I had been driving around in circles after class one night just trying to soothe the demons in my head as they egged me on to ignore the stop sign and drive on the left side of the two-way street. A head-on collision seemed like a sure plan to take away every ounce of pain and emptiness that I was left with, the aftermath of a tragic death and a painful breakup. Wow. Yeah. You know, I'm actually tearing up thinking about that because you're right. I, I am. I have removed myself from that. I've I've learned how to swim. Um, that I, I I hadn't told myself that story in a while, but yeah, I've been through uh, quite a bit, and I've used that to be able to bounce back. Wow. Wow. I'm at a loss for words. Wow. Yeah, that's okay. Take a minute because when I read this, I thought hot damn yeah yeah you know this and when you continue you talk about the fact that you never considered that you would want to kill yourself and when you found yourself in that position yeah you finally understood what it really felt like and how quickly it can happen and how surprising it can be and and you said that you have this you know that you can bounce back which 
you have a certain amount of resiliency. And I, in my um, practice, in my coaching practice, in my acupuncture practice, I call that bounce back ability. Okay. Yes. Our level of bounce back ability is often very much related to our family life from the ages of zero to six. Hmm. Right. Because in that time is when all of our patterns are created. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. So those children that you were talking about that you weren't able to help because they were stuck in those cycles that you, you couldn't change from, from the outside. Yeah. You know, when they get into later in life, what, what I want people to understand as I'm talking about this is that some people have a more difficult start. And in America, we love the underdog. Yeah. But we don't always understand that there are people that have more hurdles to jump over than others. And if someone starts with a more difficult childhood, their, their bounce back ability factor, their resilience factor will generally be less. Every once in a while, there's somebody with more, but it's usually because there was one person in their life who was positive, the grandmother, the teacher, whoever it happened to be. And you know what? I, I will add this. That is so true. And that's very powerful. And as I think about, the dark place that I was in. Um, and this actually happened when I was working on my master's. So it was several years. It was about 10 years before I began my career in counseling. Right. But I write about that because it prepared me for the greatest swim of my life. That sinking place, my mother and my grandmother were so, and my, my parents are married, of course, but, but there's nothing like the women in the family yeah. <laughs> that are just so, you know, optimistic. And she waited on me physically, hand and foot, but she was always encouraging me. So my cousin passed away when he was 23. He got killed in a car accident. And it sent me into this state of depression that I had never experienced before because, frankly, I'm just that happy-go-lucky person. Right. Nothing ever gets me down. I'm always able to, you know, incur. I had that bounce back. Um, but not this time because I can remember um, there was this man at my church and um, I was crying, um, just crying to the point where I couldn't see. And I thought, you know, church is the place where you can go, you know, lay your burdens down and all of that. And so he told me that Sunday, he said, well, he said, you need to be strong for your, um, for his family. Like his parents would want, they would need somebody to lean on, so be strong for them. So I went to that funeral and I didn't shed not one tear. And it was the biggest mistake of my life. And, and that's why I shared the story about the stink, because I want people to understand that um, everybody that looks like they've never been through anything just dive dig a little deeper into their story and you don't see all of the ugly pieces you know on social media and that was me trying to hide the depths of my pain I I, I um, had all these hopes and dreams about going into therapy but I had just finished my bachelor's degree and I um, didn't think that I would bounce back from that at all. And my mother actually applied for me to go to graduate school. So I have a, uh, I have a twin sister and she's like, you know, what school are y'all going to? And I was like, you know, I don't know. I hadn't thought about it. 
And um, she's like, well, I found your school and I found your scholarship. And that's how I ended up in uh, Louisiana. So we, we, we were in Louisiana, um, had our first apartment together. And, um, and I can remember that, you know, we were twins, so we always shared a car up until this point. And I can remember having my own car. And I was so thankful because I could drive um, back and forth from our apartment to campus, just sobbing and screaming to the top of my lungs. And then when I would get out of my car, my face would be clean. My makeup would be pretty again. You couldn't tell that I wasn't an amazing, happy, optimistic Rosalind, you know, had a 4.0 that semester. Right. And this is another thing that you wrote in the book that hit me. You said, I had a bad case of perfectionism. I lived my life according to a set of rules. Some I made up in my attempt to avoid a bad life. Yes. Like rules are not going to protect us from a bad life, unfortunately, right? No. And now, and I realized that it's like, Caitlin, you can, I planned, because they tell you, you know, you either, if you fail to plan, um, then you plan to fail. And I was like, I got a plan. And, and yeah. every plan that I had failed apart. <laughs> yeah. They also say man, pla- man plans and God laughs. Yeah. Say that again. They also say man plans, God laughs. Yeah. Yep. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but I had, I had all these things. I, I had all these things I wanted to do. And I had, I, I knew I wanted to be married when I turned 23 and 23 was going to be my magic number because it was Michael Jordan's magic number. And um, when I was 23, um, the, the year or two before the end, uh, my boyfriend and I, um, we had broken up and I was like, I didn't, I didn't care about the breakup because I knew that when I turned 23, we would get married. <laughs> so, seriously. I was like, so focused on 23 it was unbelievable because everything else was happening so this this whole idea of 23 happened when I was 11 when I saw my my cousin get married and I was like that's gonna be me and at 23 we were um burying uh, Raphael Raphael was 23 and it just distorted every hope dream thought wish idea I had for my life yeah and yeah, and so yeah, I, I did. I, I spiraled out into depression, and I hid it for um, that entire year. So he passed away in March, and in December, I had um, what I call a, 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 a psychotic episode. They still don't know what to call it, but I was in a mental hospital for like two weeks, and that's that's the basis. That's the basis of the story. Is like, guys, I have been near drowning. <laughs> But I used that as a way to be able to swim. Yeah, I did. Well, and this is this is the 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 end of that chapter. You say, well, the end of the introduction. You say through personal experience and spiritual revelations, I believe that in learning how to swim, you will go underwater. It is yes. the sinking that teaches you how to stay afloat. Yes, absolutely. And, and we don't we don't want to hear that though. We want to hear <laughs> that you either sink or swim, and we want to choose to swim. I mean, who in the world would want to sink? So what did you do? Can I ask what you did with your um, bad case of perfectionism? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> 
that was a hard lesson because I have um, really worked hard to try to create this perfect life and to try to do everything that the world told me to do in order to be successful. And that all came crashing down the year I uh, <laughs> had an affair yeah. and decided that, you know, I wanted to get a divorce. And I made those choices. And that, you know, whole time, because I, I, I ended up marrying the same guy who I said I was going to marry. Of course, he left and um, he married someone else. And then we, you know, eventually reconnected and, and we married. And I realized along the way that he had chose me, but I did not choose him. And I found myself in this affair. Or shall I say I chose to have an affair? I want to take ownership of that. Yeah. And, um, and that's when I realized that, honey, <laughs> there ain't nothing perfect about that. <laughs> and I began, to, I began to question all the reasons that I tried to, you know, seek such perfection. And I began to look at other people in my life, like my grandmother, and I began to realize that I really didn't know her story. I only knew that she made these amazing spaghetti and meatballs, but she was the one that, you know, had told me all these stories about, you know, marriage and namely like not getting married. And this is what, you know, a husband will do to you if you're married. And, you know, without giving too much of that away, it just propelled me on this journey to really be my most authentic, naked self. And I could see myself, um, I, I had this, this dream that I was just wrapped up in a white towel and everybody else around me was fully clothed. And it was the most freeing feeling because it reminds me, you know, about Adam and Eve and how they were in the garden and they were naked and they didn't know they were naked until they got this knowledge. And then all of a sudden it's bad to be naked. So we want to cover up. Yeah. And the perfectionist in me died during that season in my life because I thought it more important for me to just really explore and know exactly who I was and what I wanted. And I, I knew that I couldn't get there with the fear that I had of what other people thought of me. And that's where the, the perfectionist ultimately came from. Yeah, the facade had to drop. It did, and it dropped all the way. And now I just I don't hold anything back. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So, if you, I mean, this is a, this is a really intense story, and you've been through really intense ups and downs, suicidal thoughts, psychotic breaks, and you've found this place where, you know, things are are okay. Do you use? Well, maybe I'll say it like this instead. In my life, mm -hmm. my tendency to burn myself out has now become my series of, you know, yellow and then red flags that let me know that I'm veering all off course again. It's not that I don't ever, I mean, I have researched this and studied this and I've read all the self-help books and I'm an acupuncturist and I know all the nutrition rule, you know, I, I have all the things, but yeah. I have not eliminated 
burnout from my life. I now use it as a tool instead of having it use me. So when I notice that I'm veering in that direction, I pay attention to the signs and then I, I can bring myself back to center. That's how you feel like your life is now too. Yes, absolutely. For, for sure. I know what it felt like to be underwater. I know what it felt like to, you know, wonder what it would be like if I wasn't existing. If I, you know, went ahead and drove into oncoming traffic and made it look like an accident. I know what it feels like to choose someone. Well, let me say, I know what it feels like for someone to choose me and me to not choose them. I know what it feels like to not have clarity, to not know that uncomfortable feeling that we have um, of just kind of being in this inner turmoil. And because I know all of those things, because I have experienced them, because I did go underwater, those things are what keep me afloat now. And it, in terms of burnout, I know when I'm beginning to feel you know, too overwhelmed. Yeah. Other people in my life know, don't mess with her right now. <laughs> you know, ever since, I, I, and, I, and I'll say this, you know, when I was in that mental hospital for two weeks, it really gave me permission to just sit back and not have any expectations on me. Right. I was that person that everybody came to to do something. And I was more than willing to do it because I wanted everyone to think that I was a good person and that I was a helpful person. But now I know <laughs> that I really have to help myself. So I, I, oh my gosh, I love saying no now. I really do. I love saying no now. I love that. <laughs> this, is, this is really funny because this is um, a core principle of the work that I do. Um, I go through finding out if someone has what I like to call good person syndrome. Okay. And I actually read something online today. Somebody wrote a comment on an Instagram post and was like, yeah, that's my problem. I'm just so nice that I can't get a promotion at work. And, and they just say it's my character flaw. I mean, how bad can it be that I'm just so selfless? Oh, <laughs> I, no. um, you're not selfless. You do things for other people for yourself. Exactly. I want to stick my finger in my throat right now because, <laughs> you know, that is so, um, like, we've been trained to think that that's so good that I give, 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 and then you, you, you don't give to yourself. And I was just speaking to a, a, um, a client today that I was working with because she has this real issue with codependency yeah. and she spent all her life just helping so many people that don't, that aren't even deserving of the help. And, you know, we're working on these positive affirmations. And one of the things that I wanted her to kind of really soak up was I show up for myself. And I asked her, what does that mean to show up for yourself? And she had not a single answer for me. And I said, no what does it mean to show up for other people? So then she starts naming all the people that she's helped and all the things that she's done. I said, okay, write all of that down, go back through that list and cross their name out and put your name there. And that's how you show up for you. All right. So I want everybody right now to pause this podcast and do that exercise because hell yes. yes. 
Yes. You want to break your people-pleasing tendencies? Change those sentences. All those things that you're doing for everybody that you know, you in your mind, they're generous and it's because you're a good person, but you also have a little bit of resentment. You don't feel appreciated. Write down those things. Put your name in there. That is a killer exercise. Yes. Yes. Amazing. And I, you know, we, I had to do that for myself. Yeah. Welcome to the club. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy though. I mean, then when you, then when you stop giving to people, then they want to call you selfish. You're like, yeah. You know, I didn't have that experience to be honest. Really? I didn't really have that experience very much. And I think this is the, the difference I think in my life was that I was most of the time over giving to people when they weren't even asking for my help. Uh, I was like, Oh, let me fix this for you. Don't worry about it. I'm going to make this easier in your life. So I was, I was adjusting things for people and I was fixing things for people that they were not asking for my help for. Oh, wow. That's bad. Yeah. (laughs) You think your case is bad, girl. I got you beat. I know it. That's funny. Oh my goodness. I love it. (laughs) So I was in this place where when I started paying attention to taking care of myself, I have an exercise, that's, an exercise that's called the knot, which is something that I'll also share in, in the show notes. Okay. When I, um, when I started doing this exercise with myself and paying attention to my own knot, I realized that most of the time, not only was I, I couldn't tell you how to help myself because I wasn't even present in my own life. My energy was always in someone else's space, trying to make sure that all of their needs were being met. The spoken ones, the unspoken ones, the assumed ones, the, you know, my energy wasn't in me. Right. And that's exhausting. Oh my God. Like, how can you not burn out? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now we can see it a mile away. Right. Wish that, you know, other people, and I think that this is why, you know, I applaud the work that you do. Um, Because if people only knew what was coming around the corner, in terms of, you know, how what they're not doing for themselves is going to affect what they're, what happens to them. Yeah. And you can't know that until you know it. Exactly. Unfortunately. Yeah. That's why we're here here today. (laughs) That's why we're here today. That's why we're here today. Dr. Mm -hmm. Roslyn, I have loved this back and forth with you. I loved hearing your story. And I feel like, um, and I keep saying this at the end of episodes, but everyone that I've talked to has really been able to go to the deep and dark places in this space on this podcast, which I think is really important so that people can recognize themselves in our words, because we are definitely not the only two people that have these tendencies. Absolutely. Right. So I'm so grateful for your level of vulnerability and the level of work that you've done to be able to get to this place where you can share this comfortably with people or even uncomfortably, but share it anyway, depending on how you feel. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it takes work to get naked, but I, I'm yeah. so thrilled and excited about, you know, what you're doing. I thank you so much for having me here today. Oh, thank you so much for being here. Before we finish up, if you do you have a sign off message for the listeners today, if you had to tell them one thing, you know, what would it be? Wow. Uh, If I had to tell them one thing, I would say, um, oh my gosh, there's so many things I can think of. But the the one main thing that I want to go back to is 
to get naked. Yeah. And it sounds so, it sounds so like, okay, yeah, that, yeah, get naked because that's the hardest thing that, yes. you know, that you could do, but it's the most life changing thing to do. And once you get naked and you're your real, true, authentic self, then you plant the seed for not only your generation, but you you plant seeds of greatness in other people and you never know, like, like my story is embarrassing. It's shameful. It's ugly, but it's real and yes. it's helping and it's, it's serving people. Yes. So, um, oh my gosh, I, I want to say one more thing. Go right ahead. Put that mic right by your mouth. Oh my gosh. The, the, the <laughs> there was somebody that was on Facebook the other day and they were in, inviting people to come and, share their story. Um, you know, do you have a story on divorce? And so this, this woman comes on and she says, yes, I have this amazing story and I'm a bestseller. And I'm such a uh, Facebook stalker, Amazon stalker and all of <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to go on there and look her up because I was intrigued. Um, and so I go and I look at the numbers and I look at the reviews and, you know, we know numbers, numbers matter and I was like wow um she lied there's a difference between you know good marketing and then there's you know just a bad lie and it really bothered me because I wanted her to be comfortable with where she is yeah be comfortable with where you are because if you can get comfortable there it can take you so much further yeah it just can so that's that's my little that's my little soapbox I like it get naked where you are get naked where you are look strip butt naked right now and get naked (laughs) (laughs) be just be you just be you post pictures to my Instagram because (laughs) they will get taken down get naked Ross said it Ross said it That's right. Thank you so much, so much, so much for being here with us today. That was wonderful. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you for having me again. All right, everybody. That wraps up my conversation with Dr. Rosalind Ashford and her incredibly empowering story. If you can allow yourself to feel the depths of what she went through and feel the place where she got to. I think her energy is palpable here. So I want you to soak that up while you have a minute. Thank you so much for listening. If you think that there's someone that could benefit from listening to this show, please do share it with them. We change the burnout culture by one person at a time, one story at a time. So please do everything you can to get this to all the ears that it needs to reach. Thank you. And I'll talk to you soon. Ha 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 